And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms uh, we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. This is me, Warren Landis, and I am your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And it's so great to have you tuned in to our Bible study this morning. We are uh, currently in the book of Acts studying about Paul and Silas who have already gotten well underway with their second missionary journey. Now, you'll notice on the first missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas. And it would have been Paul and Barnabas going on the second missionary journey, except for one thing. They had a disagreement over Mark. Uh, Mark was a relative of Barnabas, and uh, Barnabas naturally wanted to take his relative uh, on the uh, missionary journey, but uh, Paul would have nothing to do with that because, you see, Mark deserted them on that first missionary journey. Now, you know, we could probably uh, discuss all day why that happened. Why did Mark desert Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey? You know, it very well may be that Mark simply got homesick. Maybe this was Mark's first time on the road away from home. He got homesick and he decided to go back. I remember when I was in college, I got very, very homesick that first semester in college. And I was about 550 miles from home. The first couple of nights that I was on my own, I literally cried myself to sleep. I mean, bearing in mind, I was born and raised here in Greenville, South Carolina. Here I am in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, going to college. It's August of 1974. My freshman year in college is just beginning. And I was homesick. I mean, I was more homesick than you could ever imagine. And it would actually take me several months to get over this. I mean, I subscribed to the hometown paper, newspaper, and I did everything I could to surround myself with thoughts of Greenville, South Carolina, but I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So I could see where Mark could have been so homesick that he would have said, you know, I need to split the scene, I need to go. Could be that Mark was afraid when the missionary journey started getting dangerous. I mean, uh, these missionary journeys that Paul went on, they were not safe. There were dangers. At one point, uh, we find that Paul was stoned and left for dead. And so when the persecution started, and Mark realized he could very easily be killed on this first missionary journey, Maybe he said, you know, I'm a young man. i got my whole life ahead of me. I, I'm not ready for this. And so he split. We don't know. But we do know that when Paul got to the end of his ministry, Mark was the one that he requested. Mark was the one that he turned to. So obviously, from the time that Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas to the time when Paul himself was a much older man, Barnabas had matured quite a bit and had proven himself to be very helpful to Paul. 
And so Paul requested him, and at times in those last days, uh, Barnabas was available to help Paul when nobody else was. And so it's a good thing that Barnabas matured. Now, you see, the thing about it is, if Paul had allowed Mark to go on that second missionary journey, that might not have ever happened. And probably when uh, they got to Philippi, which is where they are in today's lesson, Mark probably would have split again. And Mark would never have gotten the opportunity to grow and develop the way that he did. I heard one time about a, a youth director that was actually fired by a local church pastor. And several years ago, I ran into this youth director that had been fired, and I talked with him and visited with him for a little bit, and I fully expected him to be very critical of the pastor that fired him, but that was not the case. He said, you know, the pastor was every bit justified to fire me. He said, um, I was accused of not doing my job, and that was correct. I was not doing my job. And therefore, he said, that particular pastor, the best thing he ever did for me was to fire me. Because he said, it opened up my eyes, and he grew up spiritually. He went back to school, finished his education, and last I heard, he's now a professor himself in college. But probably, if that pastor hadn't fired him, that never would happen. So, Barnabas, he takes... Uh, Mark, and they go on their own missionary journey. Paul gets together with Silas, and Paul and Silas become team members on this second missionary journey. And in the last lesson, we talked about Paul and Silas arriving in Philippi, and they have their first convert in Europe, now, bearing in mind also on the last broadcast, we talked about that Macedonian cry. There was part of Paul that wanted to go east. He wanted to go into Asia. But the Holy Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go there. Now, of course, there's a very valuable lesson here that we can learn as Christians today, and that is we need to let the Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct us in all that we do. And if the Holy Spirit tells you not to do something, you better not do it. Amen. And so they have this Macedonian cry. Paul has a vision of this man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Show us the way. And so Paul and Silas go into uh, what we would call today uh, Europe. And they have their first European convert. After going into Philippi, now Philippi appears to be one of these places where Paul and Barnabas were well received at first, but then they started acquiring enemies. And once again, this is a good place to point out that we as Christians can expect to face persecution. It's going to happen. We're going to face persecution. The going is not always going to be easy. You know, it might be when you got saved, 
you thought to yourself, well, you know what? Everything's going to be honky-dory. But if you've been saved for any length of time, you know that's not the case. Because when you start doing the will of God and you start doing the will of God the way God wants you to do it, then you know what? You're going to face opposition. You're going to face persecution. And that's exactly what happens to Paul and Silas in Philippi. Now, we come here to Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met with us and brought her master's much gain by soothsaying. So we see here in verse 16, Paul and Silas come across... Um, a certain woman who is a fortune teller would sing. And it's very important to note here, we're not given the name of this woman, but that she was a fortune teller. And it says that she brought her master's much gain through predicting what the future would be. Now, you know, we, we hear a lot today in our culture about uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking, and this would be an example of that. This woman had masters. Apparently, to some degree, uh, she was enslaved by men who would capitalize on the fact that she seemingly had the ability to predict what was going to happen in the future. Now, I would say that in all probability, she really didn't have near the magical power that she thought she had. But nonetheless, she predicted the future in a very convincing way. And the Bible tells us here that her masters gained much financially because of her. They made an awful lot of money on her. And they were watching her like a hawk. It says here, um, the same followed Paul and uh, Silas cited saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. And this did she for many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out of her. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, these masters of this particular woman, they get very concerned. They get very upset. Because now that this spirit of divination has been driven out of this woman, she is no longer willing to do for her masters what she once did. And all this money that her masters were making off of her, they were not making that money anymore. And they were upset with Paul and Silas 
for doing what they did. And so they take Paul and Silas before the magistrates of the city. And like I say, you can imagine that a lot of other people in that town were upset too because many people in that town were involved in the same kind of business that these men were. This was a city that had an economy built on sin. And here Paul and Silas come, they're preaching the gospel. And you know, even this woman who was possessed of a demon, uh, the thing about it is even she could see that Paul and Silas were servants of the Most High God. And like I say, you know, these uh, these uh, men of the city, they did not like that. They take Paul and Silas before the magistrates in town. It says... Uh, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. That's in verse 22. Now what we find here is that the magistrates give orders for Paul and Silas to be beaten. Their clothes are torn off of them. And obviously the whole town is in an uproar against them. Now, by the way, if Paul and Silas had gone into the ministry to make a lot of money or to be popular, well, they were seeing right now this was not going to happen. And that's why I tell young ministerial students today, if, if you're going into the ministry to make a lot of money, if you're going into the ministry to gain fame and, and fortune and popularity, you're going into the ministry for the wrong reason, and I predict you're not going to do very well in the ministry. Because if you're truly a God-called minister, there's going to be pain and suffering. There's going to be times when you're going to be the most unpopular man in the town. And if you can't deal with that, you don't need to be in the ministry. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read on. Okay? And then it says, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. Well, they're not talking about investments here. They're talking about chains. They're talking about putting their legs in this device that made them immobile while they were locked up in prison. Now, bearing in mind, back in those days, if you were a jailer, you had a position of incredible responsibility. If you were cast into a prison, I mean, if uh, a prisoner was put into your prison, you were responsible for that. If they escaped, if they got away, you took the blame. And usually as a result, your punishment for that was death. Not only would you be fired, and that's bad enough, but you would be put to death. 
So these travelers, when they get Paul and Silas, and they realize they're responsible for seeing to it that Paul and Silas don't get away, they not only put Paul and Silas in prison, they put them in the inner prison. They put them in stocks. They're completely immobile. They can't go anywhere. Now, you would think, you would think that Paul and Silas at this point would have been indignated. You would have thought they would be mad as a wet hen. But as we're going to see in just a few moments, that was simply not the case. Now, there were many ways in which Paul and Silas could have gotten upset. Paul, you understand, was a Roman citizen. And for example, you could not put a Roman citizen in stocks. And you couldn't actually put them in prison except under situations where it was so clear they were guilty. And so their rights as Roman citizens were being violated all over the place. But at least at this point, Paul's not saying anything about it. Because he realizes that Satan is bound to attack anything and everything he does. Well, let's uh, read on a little bit further here. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loose. That's in verse 26. So here all the prison doors are open. Everybody's chains are loose. Now you can imagine the guards at this point are very extremely upset. Because they realize that on this night, potentially a whole lot of prisoners could escape. And not only would they lose their jobs, they would lose their life. This was, for them, a worst-case scenario. Well, let's, let's wait on and see what happens here. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword, verse 27, and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and the house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all who were in his house. Now that's in verse 32. Now, bearing in mind, it was not uncommon in these days for the jailer to live in the prison with his family. And so now, 
these jailers and their whole families were hearing the gospel. And notice what Paul says. He says, um, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in the house. In other words, here's a jailer that's about to take his own life. Paul said, do yourself no harm. Nobody's escaped here. Now, the interesting point here is that apparently not only do Paul and Barnabas not escape, it appears that none of the other prisoners escape either. Because even if they had escaped, the end result would have been the same. The jailers would have died. But Paul says, hey, do yourself no harm. Nobody's escaped here. We're all here. We're all accounted for. And at that point, the jailers say, what must we do to be saved? And all Paul says was simply this, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to want to make something very long, hard, and complicated out of getting saved. I've heard some people say, well, you know, it's a long process. No, it's not. The jailers that night called on Jesus Christ. They told Jesus Christ, I believe, and they were saved. Paul didn't give them a long list of do's and don'ts. You know, being the Jewish leader that Paul was, he could have said, okay, now you got to keep the law of Moses and you got to be circumcised and blah, 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 blah. But Paul didn't say anything about that. All they had to do was to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they would be saved, and it says, and their house. That doesn't mean that when they prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into heart that the whole family was saved instantly. But what it meant was, in this case, everybody in the family had an opportunity to hear the same gospel that the jailers were hearing. And everybody in that family had an opportunity to pray and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, you may be like me. You may have had the fortune, the good fortune of having parents who were Christians who told you about the Lord and who led you to the Lord. But there was an individual decision that you have to make. Do you understand that you're not going to heaven just because your mom and dad are Christians? Or maybe your grandparents were Christians. Or maybe some other relative was a Christian. Everybody has to make this one very important individual decision. And you see, God gives you the freedom to make a choice. You could say, okay, yes, I will pray and receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Or you can say, no, I don't want any part of it. God gives you that choice. God gives you that freedom. So at that point, it's entirely up to you what you're going to do. Well, let's read on. Okay? And then he took that same hour of the night and washed the stripes and was baptized he and all straightway and when he had brought them into the house he set meat before them and rejoiced 
believing in God with all of his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent for the surgeons, that is, they sent for Paul and Silas, saying, Let these men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go, now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? May verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the servants told these words to the magistrates, and they feared, and when they heard that they were Romans, and they came out and besought them and besought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. Verse 40, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And um, when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now, we have here a case of a jailer that's very appreciative for what Paul and Silas have done. He takes them into his living quarters and gives them meat. In other words, they're no longer having to endure the prison food. They're getting a real home-cooked meal. In the meantime, the magistrates that had ordered Paul and Silas to go into prison, they now were issuing an order that they were to be released. Now, this was an order that the jailer would have been very happy to comply with. He tells Paul and Silas, look, the magistrates have sent word that you were to be released, and so go in peace. But Paul and Silas decide they're not going to have any part of this. They're not going to have any part of this. They said the magistrates broke the law by casting us into prison anyway. It says we were uncondemned. In other words, we were not convicted of any crime, and yet they threw us in the prison. They put us in stocks. And now they're going to give this secret order, this secret decree, that we are to be released. And they said, no way. They're going to have to come here and put us out themselves. And so they come. The magistrates come. They let Paul and Silas out. Say, get out of here. Get out of town. And then they come to the home of Lydia. Now, Lydia, you'll remember, was a wealthy businesswoman that they had met earlier. She was a seller of fine purple linen. I don't know if you know anything about purple, but I understand that purple dye, for example, is very hard to come by and it's very expensive. So this was probably a very wealthy businesswoman. She had been apparently converted to Christ under the ministry of Paul. And she's only too happy to give Paul and Silas a place to stay for a couple of days so that they can rest up and recuperate from their experience. And so this happens. They recuperate. They're very excited about all this. 
and apparently they are visited by other brethren and they give words of encouragement to the brethren. Now what we read in these verses is so important. Because you see, what we read in these verses is this. And that is the fact that even when we're being persecuted, even when we're suffering for Christ, we can rejoice, we can worship, we can praise the Lord, which is exactly what Paul and Silas were doing. And, and the prisoners apparently were rejoicing with them. You would have thought, well, these uh, prisoners, uh, <laughs> they're going to get in there and they're going to tell Paul and Silas to be quiet. They're trying to sleep. I mean, after all, it was after the midnight hour. But no, they were eagerly listening to the word of the Lord as being preached by Paul and Silas. And a great earthquake comes. And the Lord arranges for the prison doors to swing open and the chains of everybody fall off. But you know what? Paul and Silas and even the other prisoners, they don't escape. As a result, the jailer and all his household are saved. They come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so we have to understand that as Christians, we have to understand that as Christians, we are to rejoice in every situation that we find ourselves in. There's going to be times when you're going to be persecuted. There's going to be times when things are not going to be going the way you think they ought to be going. But nonetheless, it is a time to praise the Lord, realizing that God has this situation. And God will ultimately bring good out of it. Now, we may not see how that can happen at the time, but we just need to trust God. And take God at his word that good things will happen to us even though it looks bad now. So there's great encouragement here. And I guess that would be a good place for us to park it for the time being until the next broadcast when we'll get into chapter 17 and verse 1. But I do want you to go ahead and finish reading the 16th chapter of Acts if you've not done so, and then go on and read uh, the 17th chapter of Acts. That will be your homework assignment before the next broadcast. And by the way, if you have any Bible study questions or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, I would love to hear about it. Uh, the quickest and most direct way to let me know is by email. I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you want to contact me by snail mail, that's the old-fashioned way. You could do that too. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thrusted Street, T H R U S T O N, 80 Thrusted Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thrusted Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And I would love to hear from you. Um, you know, I'm just like 
any other person. I need encouragement sometimes. And one of the ways you can encourage me is just to simply contact me and let me know you're listening to the program and you're getting something out of it. Maybe your life has been changed as a result of this program. I would love to hear about it. Amen. Uh, Praise the Lord. Now, in the meantime, you can pray for this ministry. And you can also tell other people about this ministry, because like I say, if you listen to this program and you enjoy it, then you probably know somebody else that would also love this program and you would love to uh, uh, have them listen to the program as well. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, don't you fret none, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.